0: G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. I am your host, Jacob Andre, and today I am talking to Phil Harper. So if you'd like to know more about football operations at the Adelaide Crows Football Club, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jacob Andre, and for over a decade, I've trained everyone from children to elite athletes to move better, feel better, and perform better. While a thorough understanding of fitness and nutrition is vital, underpinning that is mindset. And I've come to discover just how important it is I've worked with literally thousands of people, and more often than not, it's the ones who win the mind game who succeed in the big game. So, how do they do it? This is the Mind Your Body Podcast. G'day and welcome to the episode Prelude with Phil Harper. Now, a quick background on Phil and how I first met Phil. So, a couple of years ago, I had a phone call from a man of mine who I've done a bit of work with as a strength and conditioning coach. He was a head coach at local football club, Dean Rioli previous guest and Dean then became a manager for a Adelaide Crows women's football player in Danielle Ponta Now, Dean had kind of mentioned to me that there might be the possibility of doing some work with Danielle because she was based in Darwin and then that sort of never really eventuated however around Christmas of 2020 Dean called me up and he said hey are you still interested in doing the work with Danielle the Crows are interested in getting you to do some work with her based in Darwin she's going to be fly in fly out and so I jumped at the chance and was just excited, said, yes, definitely. He's like, cool, I'll get this guy to give you a call. That guy was Phil Harper. Two minutes later, Phil called me up and said, thank you very much for coming on and doing this for us. You come very highly recommended by Dean. Yes, it made me feel awesome. But then he said, okay, how much, do, how much do you want to be paid? And I said, no, no, it's okay. I've got a full-time job. I don't need to be paid. And he just laughed and said, mate, we're going to pay you. So the experience of working with Danielle throughout the 2021 season, where she took mark of the year, uh, an unbelievable mark. It was such a fantastic opportunity. And then recently, Phil has asked me to come on board to work with uh, both Danielle and Jasmine Hewitt in the preseason for the upcoming 2022 season. So amazing things ahead, which I can't wait, but I asked Phil to come on and be a guest on the show. And he was more than happy to oblige But the simple fact that, as he says, you've given us so much, so I would love to be able to give back. And I'm so grateful for Phil and his time today on the Mind Your Body Show. Now, of course, you can check out this episode on all different platforms from iTunes to Spotify, but their home base is themindyourbodyshow.com. Head there, subscribe to our email newsletter, make sure you get um, these episodes sent out to you every time we release a new episode, as well as get access to all previous episodes with people like Dean and others that I have recorded over the years, as well as all upcoming future episodes. Okay, so now with this episode with Phil, it was really good to get to know, almost kind of feel like watching this episode back and taking some notes, that it was a bit of a a resume for Phil and it is an absolutely very, very accomplished resume that he goes through, but we get to hear the Phil Harper story How he ended up in the AFL system at the Adelaide Crows, but right back to his childhood and when he was first introduced to football, Australian rules football, that is, as a five-year-old. Now, in this episode, you're going to find out how Phil found footy and it led him to the Crows. The evolution of the game at grassroots and how he sees that evolution over his journey from himself starting as a five-year-old through to now watching his grandchildren play how Phil got his start at the Crows, how Adelaide thought outside the box to get their license to enter the new women's competition. Now, this was very much lateral thinking and I absolutely love it. Like hearing these stories, it's amazing. The This was 2016. There was this new national women's competition about to commence in 2017 and it wasn't looking like the Adelaide Crows were going to be able to get a license to enter. However, they thought outside the box and then came up with a wonderful solution which benefited many as and then ultimately led to them winning the premiership in 2017 the inaugural year and they've since won two premierships in the five years um, so how they engineered a champion team by scouring the globe really interesting it's almost like the last dance chicago bills type style stuff how phil negotiated their first opponent's After being told that they would be the second worst team in the competition, he goes on to say, "Okay, well, who's the worst team? And um, they ended up going on and um, I think they won five out of the seven games. There's only seven games in the first season. And they ended up making the grand final and beating what was supposedly the best team for the year. And I think actually Phil says that he thought it was the best team as well. However, they ended up winning it and the rest, as they say, is history. The secrets of Adelaide's success. Now I've talked a lot about their success. They've just recently played in the grand final. They, unfortunately, I should really say we, unfortunately weren't good enough to win it. However, it's their third grand final in five seasons and they've won two of them. So probably arguably statistically the best team in the competition thus far. Uh, Why Phil believes the 2021 team would beat the 2017 team by 15 goals or more, and Phil's take on the future of women's football. This was a very, very open and honest conversation with Phil. I'm so grateful for his time and how open and honest he was in this conversation. You're going to absolutely love this episode with Phil Harper. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Today, and welcome to the episode. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Phil Harper, Adelaide Crows Women's Football Operations Manager. Phil, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks very much Jacob. Good to be on. So we just had a quick chat off air. What have I interrupted by asking you to do this interview today on a Saturday morning?
1: Uh, we well, haven't really interrupted anything, probably breakfast because I just went for a run which I didn't get up for till too late. Uh, and now I'm with you, and then uh, in, a, in an hour or two, I've got to be at an um, under-18s game, which is uh, Glenelg versus South Adelaide under-18s. So for the other part of my role, apart from being the head of the women's football uh, at the Crows, I do uh, a fair bit in recruiting in South Australia and Western Australia for the men's
0: program as well. South Australia and Western Australia. So does that mean that you're recruiting for the Adelaide Crows in those two states?
1: Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, probably, uh, you know, 90% of my times in South Australia, uh, but I will go over to Western Australia three or four times to, to have a look at their talent and try and line it up against what we've got here in SA.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So on your run this morning, how far did you run?
1: <laughs> uh, this morning was only 4 uh, Ks, but I've decided that um, I, I run with a couple of mates on a Thursday morning. And we run 8Ks, but it used to take me pretty well uh, the next week to recover to be able to go again the next Thursday. But I've decided to – I need to lose some weight, so I'm slotting in Saturday mornings and Monday mornings now as well, but only
0: 4Ks on those ones. Yeah, so have you got any of the uh, strength and conditioning coaches there at the Crows helping you out with programs and things like that, or is it all Phil?
1: (laughs) No, they all offer to. Uh, uh, Warwick Raymond in particular is always hounding me to – have this proper program. but I said, no, I'm just happy to run at my own place and do my own thing. So, no, not really. I'm too old for all that now.
0: <laughs> so talking about that, let's go right back. I'm interested to hear the Phil Harper story. How how did you end up becoming who you are today?
1: Well, it's a very interesting uh, story. I, I actually had to go through this a little bit in uh, my father died about two weeks ago. Uh, he was nearly 93, so he had a great run. And in his eulogy, I had to go through this. But basically, my parents came out from England in 1956. Um, and uh, and so I was a young, pommy boy, I suppose. They were 10-pound poms. Uh, they came out to Canberra. Um, the people, two doors up, and, and, and we were the only ones there. So there was myself. I wasn't a pommy; I hadn't been born yet, but once I was born, there was just my mum, my dad and me and any other relative was over in England. Um, And when I was about five, the people two doors up the road who happened to be my godparents who were also pommies, uh, their daughter, who was much older than me, she was about 20 and I was about five, she started going out with the local policeman who I just, you know, I, I used to follow them around because I thought, wow, how cool is this? And he let me ride in his police car and turn the siren on occasionally and all that sort of thing. Um, but also I then found out he happened to be the – he played football for the East Lake Football Club in Canberra. Uh, he was the ruckman. And uh, I said to my dad, can we go and watch Bernie play football? So he took me along to watch him play and we both, we both loved it. And I remember on, in the car on the way home I said, can I – would I be able to play for that team, that same, the red and white team like Bernie? And he went off and tried and found a way that I could join up and play. And I think I was five years old and now I'm 59. So for the next 54 years, I've been involved in footy somewhere. And and that journey's taken me, obviously, my early years in Canberra uh, until I was 23. I went to Queensland for three years. Uh, I came to Adelaide and played for, uh, for Woodville in Adelaide. Uh, I went back to Queensland as a playing coach back up there. And then I said to my wife, I went came back to uh, Woodville West Torrens as the CEO. And we said we'd come back for four or five years. Uh, we've now been in Adelaide for 26. So, um, uh, but it's been terrific. And, uh, and then three years after I came back to Woodville West Torrens, uh, I got a job at the Crows and 23 years later, I'm still there.
0: I'm really interested in that story about that transition from Woodville West Torrens into the Crows, but I'll come back to that in a minute. minute. Let's go right back. What was it like growing up as an only child with just your parents for family in Australia?
1: Well, it was different uh, because, you know, things like Christmas, Easter are great celebrations for most families and it was a celebration for us, but there was just the three of us to share it with. Um fortunately, when I met my wife, she had a big family of uh, five kids and then a lot of kids and then my family got sort of intermingled with their family and uh, and, and we did that. but yeah, but as a young, I suppose as a young boy, I, I probably didn't look look forward to Christmas and Good Friday and 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 dates like that as perhaps as much as some other kids did because, I felt a bit lonely and I, I was on my own because all the other kids were with their families and there was just me and mum and dad. But um, I wouldn't trade it for anything because uh, there's a rumour that people who are only children get spoiled. I'll give you the tip. That rumour is 100%, 100% correct. <laughs> oh.
0: And so how has that influenced you as an adult? Do you have children of your own? Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Once again um, I just spoke At my dad's funeral uh, This week And um, he was brought up So he was born in 1928 Um, When he was six His family bought into Or or managed a pub The pub didn't go too well And it went broke Um, He was about nine or ten And there was a split up of the family And his dad left And he never ever saw his dad ever again. Um, So that made him pretty determined to be a good dad. Um, And it was similar on my mother's side, uh, which was very uncommon for those times. But on my mother's side, the grandfather left early and I never ever saw him or heard of him or anything like that. So I suppose two things there. I had a father that was determined to be a good father. And I am now super determined to be a good grandfather. And I've got four grandsons who range in age from five to nine. And uh, I love, love every minute of uh, being with those kids. I've become one of the gang when they're all here.
0: (laughs) What is it like being, I'm a father of four. What is it like being different um, between a father and a grandfather?
1: Well, first of all, I think I'm a much better, I was so busy when, my kids were little, um, so that was harder. But I'm a much better grandfather because I just spoil them rotten and hand them back if there's any problems. So, uh, but, yeah, you know, look, I, I just, I, I love it. Um, yeah, my, the youngest grandson, uh, not the youngest one, one of my grandsons who lives here has just started playing footy and he's played. I've been out to watch two of his three games so far and, and he just loves it, and brings back so many good memories for me of, you know, when I was that young boy in under sevens. I think I started in uh, back in Canberra in the in the sixties, and here I see my grandson running out there um, as an under eight uh, up at Flagstaff Hill. Uh, in the 2020s uh, and it brings back so many good memories for me. So yeah, look, I love being your grandfather and uh, and the good part is that I'm young enough to be able to share those good times with my my grandsons.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about how football has changed over the years in the upper levels. Have you noticed much change in the junior levels where you talk about yourself as an under seven and now your grand, grandson playing? Is there much change in the in footy at that level?
1: I think I, I personally think there's change for the better, um, as in, like I, I was fortunate when I came through as an under seven or whatever. I was, you know, I'm not saying I was the best player, but I was one of the best three or four in the team, so that was good. So I always got put in the middle with a couple of the other good players and the and the ones who were, you know, not as developed. Got stuck in the forward and back pockets and probably never touched the ball. Uh, Whereas these days with my grandson, I watch him play and there's the three zones that you've got to stay in. And every week he gets a go in each of the three zones uh, and he gets two goes in one of the other zones, which he always wants to put his hand up to be a forward because he likes kicking goals. Um, But to me, it gives a, to me, footy's improved for young kids because it gives a fairer go to everybody. And not everyone's a star when they're six. Uh, and and possibly in the old days, we might've lost some potential good players um, to the game because they just didn't get a go uh, when they were young. So I think footy's improved for the better. Uh, you know, it's still fun. The kids are still having a good time. Although there was a funny story the other week, I was standing next to a parent from the opposition team and, uh, his son came running off halfway through the last quarter, and he said to his dad, Dad, when when is it the last quarter? And the dad goes, mate, you're, you're in the last quarter now. He said, oh, good, thank you. So it's nearly over then. But <laughs> he didn't want, he'd had enough to play for these <laughs> sort of things. So anyway, it was a, a, a funny story, I thought. <laughs>
0: What about like at the upper levels in the AFL and the AFLW or AFLW? We'll get into that. I think that's a different topic because um, it's yeah. so new. What about in the AFL um, in the way the game's played now? What do you think about it?
1: Well, yeah, I don't want to sound like an old school person, but um, I probably preferred it in the old days when you had the guys who kicked 100 goals, uh, people sort of stayed in their positions, but without mandating that these days. And, and I don't think we need to do that for, um, you know, grown up adult football. Uh, you know, without mandating that, you can't, you know, you can't make that happen. However, you know, I've just noticed of late there's more goals being scored because coaches work their way around it. If there's, you know, people flooding a zillion people back into the, into the opposition forward line, they'll find a way to rebound it out quicker. So, you know, we get on the end and kick a few goals. So, I mean, I still love the game. It's a great game. Uh, and in fact, I, you know, I worked in football in Queensland uh, in the late 80s when the Brisbane Bears first started. And uh, I remember sitting around. At a planning meeting, and say, you know, and then the people at the meeting saying, "What's the best way we can, you know, get kids involved in Aussie Rules?" As opposed, because really, all the best athletes in Queensland, if you're at a private school, you probably played rugby union, and if you're at a state school, you probably played rugby league, uh, and anyone that was left over played Aussie Rules. And I still maintain this that if you, I said, look, let's just go and t- teach them how to kick, teach them how to handball. But then we need to play a game because once you play a game, you'll get hooked on it. And uh, and I reckon that stood the test of time. And I watch those young boys with my grandson at the moment and they're hooked because they played a game, they kicked the goal and uh, they won or lost, but you can see that they, they just love it. So, um, yeah, the game is the biggest strength. I think it's the greatest game in the world.
0: I agree completely. It's my favourite game. I could sit there and watch every every game of every round and just uh, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes like to things like that and it sounds like you're probably very similar. Very so similar. How did Yeah, how did the uh, transition into the Adelaide Crows come about?
1: Uh, so I came here, as I said, I came back here. So I played
0: in uh,
1: Adelaide in the late 80s for Woodville. Uh, I went. We went home to Queensland and... Um, uh, as a playing coach and then out of the blue my old club woodville had merged with west torrens uh, and they contacted me to come and be the ceo because not only had i played there i was the tnd which was basically the junior development officer for the club and i also because a girl left i had a financial background so i was doing the accounts as well so i had a, a pretty good grounding to be to perhaps become the ceo so i came there for three years uh and was the ceo and then um the Crows were looking for someone. It was the first time they had this role in player development, so helping the players off the field. Uh, And in those days, there was most of the Crows guys were part-time, had part-time jobs as well as their their playing. And probably, and I I got that role as the player development officer. I was in recruiting at that stage as well. So it was player development and recruiting. Um, As I said, most of them had part-time jobs. Uh, however, within a couple of years of me being there, um, we were transitioning, and, and, and my main job was to transition players from full-time jobs into part-time jobs. And within two years, it was transitioning them from part-time jobs into we're going full-time in footy, and you won't have time for jobs. You may have a bit of time to study. So uh, that yeah, that's where I started, and I did that yeah, you know, the player welfare, player development for four years, uh, along with the recruiting. Uh, and then and that then went from there for the next 19 and four to uh, 19 years
0: so then the how did you then get into the women's did you leave the club and come back did did you go straight into the women's like what was your thoughts when you heard there was going to be a women's competition
1: uh well uh, yeah I'll, I'll fill you in from there so so after that that first four years at the crows I, I never left the crows I've been there ever since so I'm still there uh, I went into the uh, I, I, start, I did um, the guy who was our membership and communications manager, Stephen Trigg, uh, got the job as the CEO and he said he wanted me to do his old job, which was membership and communications. So I ran the membership and the media departments at the Crows for the next couple of years. and then they merged uh, they merged that area it, along with the sponsorship and all the incoming uh, revenue streams into a, a broader role of commercial operations. So I managed the commercial operations at the club for the next nine years. Uh, and then after, so that's, you know, another 11. So I've been there 15 years. Uh, and then I came into the, I came back into the footy department as the footy operations manager. And it was in 2016, our then CEO, Andrew Fagan, said to me, look, there's going to be this, uh, women's, uh, the AFL are going to have a women's competition. Uh, we, we don't look like getting a, a team in it, but we've put our heads together with the Northern Territory and we think that if we put together a bid in conjunction with the Northern Territory, uh, that we may, may well be able to get a, a team. So uh, for the next six months, uh, we put together a bid Uh, to go in in conjunction with the NT people, so Wally Gallio and Michael Solomon up there Uh, and to cut a long story short we we got the licence to go in Um, you know that wasn't the end of it because then we had to find some players Uh, the reason we probably wouldn't have got a team on our own without the Northern Territory was women's football wasn't strong in South Australia but we probably had 9 or 10 decent players Uh, I think we got six or seven from the Northern Territory. And then we got different people from, you know, we heard there was a Jenna McCormack who was playing soccer in Iceland, but she was a good player and she was from South Australia. So we got her back. We contacted Erin Phillips and talked her into coming back, which was a bit of a masterstroke, that one. Uh, We were able to get a couple of marquee players from Western Australia and Chelsea Randall, who's still here and is our captain. Uh, But despite all that, uh, the experts from the AFL said, look, you'll be the second worst team in the competition. I said, oh, okay, good. So who's going to be the worst? And they said, well, that'll be GWS. I said, good, can we play them in the first game? So then we at least get a win and everyone will be on board. So we did that. We played the first game and we won. And then we played the second game against the team that were going to win it in the Western Bulldogs. And then we won that. Uh, and cut a long story short, I think there was a seven-game season the first year. I think we won five of those seven and ended up second on the ladder, which was good enough to qualify for the grand final. We played Brisbane in the grand final, and, and bugger me, we won it, uh, which was, uh, yeah, it was a great achievement. Uh, and I'm not sure that we had the best team in the comp. I think we had pretty close to the best two players in the comp in Aaron Phillips and Chelsea Randall. Uh, but the thing I loved about it was quality of people that were in our group. They were just, they were keen on footy. They just wanted to learn. They were so appreciative of everything that we gave them, even if it was a pair of socks. Um, and, and, and they were just great people to be around, fun people uh, who were keen, had a thirst for learning and wanting to get better. Uh, so, yeah, so I think the question was, what did I think? I thought, oh, well, I'll do whatever my boss says uh, at the time. But it's been one of the best things in 23 years that's happened to me uh, at the Adelaide Footy Club.
0: That is such a cool story to hear, all the behind the scenes stuff of how that all eventuated that first premiership in the inaugural season, which I think was yeah. about, to correct please correct me if I'm wrong, 2018, 2017, 2018?
1: Yeah, 2017. So that was yeah. 2017. So we put the bid in in 2016, got the license. Uh, the, the season started in February. Yeah, that was a good story in itself. So the very first game, we decided we'd play at Thebeton Oval. And the people who ran Thebeton Oval said, You yeah, know, what, what sort of crowd do you think you'll get? And I said, Oh, I said, There's a bit of interest around. So I reckon, yeah, we might get two or 3,000 to come to the game. They said, Oh, okay. And then it got closer, and there was a bit more publicity for it. And I rang the guy on the, might have been the Tuesday before the game. I said, Look, you know how I said two or three thousand? I reckon it might be closer to five thousand. And he's gone, All right, well, I'll I'll cater for five thousand. And then the, uh, I forget what time we were playing, but it was reasonably early. And the gates at the ground weren't opening till 10 o'clock or something like that. And, it was about 9.30, and uh, the guy from Theft Noble rang up and said, mate, the police are here. Can you come and see them? And I said, yes. And there was a massive queue out the, out the gate. And, uh, and the policeman said to me, mate, you, you need to get these gates open. He said, there's a, there's a queue up of cars back banking back to South Road, and it's holding up the whole of South Road, so we need to be able to let them in. So I said, oh, right, okay. So we let the people in. And I think we ended up with just under, I think it was 9,800 people there at Theberton Oval, which Theberton Oval hadn't seen a crowd like that for 50 years. So it was a great day. It was a great day for women's footy in South Australia. We won because we were playing the other team that was supposed to be no good. But all of a sudden, I look back on that. I said it at our uh, uh, vote count the other night for the women's. So back at that stage, there was... Girls, oh, hang on. You there? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Sorry. there was uh, there was girls teams and women's teams in South Australia. There was 44 of them at that stage. Uh, as of this year, there's 293. So five years on, we've gone from 44 teams to 293, and it's and it's basically on the back of the adelaide crows aflw team obviously some people in the SNFL put a lot of work in developing the game and that but um, and, and i know the afls put a lot of money into the aflw competition but to get a what is that 5 or 600% growth in in your sport in participation in a, in a 5 or 6 year period is just amazing and uh, and i and i honestly don't know why it didn't happen earlier. I mean, it was just obviously Dylan McLaughlin, you know, he had a bit of a vision there, but you know, it happened in 2017 you know, why didn't it happen in 1970 or something? Maybe it wasn't ready for it then. Certainly wasn't in Canberra where I, you know, when I first started playing football in Canberra I've told this story to many you you walk in, we had a big clubhouse in Canberra, Eastlake Footy Club and two thirds of the downstairs was a a bar, then there was some poker machine and then there was an upstairs with bistro and pool rooms and all that. A really nice club, but the two thirds of the downstairs that was the bar was the members' bar. It was called, and it was male only. Women weren't allowed in there. And uh, and I remember thinking, I was only 17, thinking, God, that's a bit odd. You know, why wouldn't they be allowed in there? And uh, there was a, a player at the time who was. You know, the guru, of our, he was 27, I was 17, and he he was married and he basically said, mate, if my wife can't come in, I'm not going in. And then I thought, well, if it's not good enough for Keith to go in, it's not good enough for me to go in. So we had a bit of a, you know, in, and in the end, most of the senior players weren't going into that bar and by the end of the year, uh, so that was 1981, By the end of 1981, they changed it and anyone could go in there, which was a a great thing. So things have changed over the years and women playing footy now, uh, it's a great thing because why shouldn't they be able to?
0: Yeah, exactly. So out of those eight or nine really good players out of South Australia that you had to sort of attract to the club, how did you go about then creating this team, which won the first ever premiership and then... uh, another one after that, and has been so successful regardless of premierships in the number of games won, like, for example, making the grand final again in 2021?
1: Yeah, well, you know, as I said, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, maybe there's a bit of luck involved because the ones that, that we got were quality people. Um, we were pretty lucky in getting a real uh, uh, professional athlete in Aaron Phillips who had gone away to America for x amount of years and desperately wanted to play footy so she basically I won't say taught them how to train but taught them how to be professional and train hard and get the best out of your body you know we we were lucky in that one of the marquee players we got was Chelsea Randall from western Australia and uh, and you know I don't know why Fremantle uh, well west Coast went in it I don't know why Fremantle didn't get it because she's an absolute star but more so, a star of a person in being able to lead a team, get a group together, get everyone on the same page, um, and and in fairness, we had a we had a good coach who was perfect for the time, in Beck Goddard, who um, she was so good at at bringing a team together and getting to play together, and and it was difficult because she was doing team meetings via Zoom, like you and me are now. Um, uh, with the so you know, we she'd send up the training program for the night, everyone would train, and then at the end of the training, we'd put the girls from Darwin up on a big screen. and How did training go? And we'd, we'd chat through and we'd have team meetings, and then we'd all come together to play the games on the weekend. So, and, and I suppose there was, yeah, you know, we, we got some talented players, and, and they're still playing you know, Stevie Lee Thompson, uh, Sally Riley, uh, Angela Foley in the first years of the Crows from the Northern Territory. Uh, and we combined them with uh, some good people from South Australia, put two great leaders in charge of them, put a good coach in place and, and a bit of luck, which you always need in footy, and, uh, and things fell our way. But I suppose right at the start, why have we been strong for long? Probably because we developed a great culture right from the very start with, with really good people.
0: So it's such a key element. Yeah. So in terms of developing the players, there's been so much development. Uh, how do you think that has come about? Cause when I look back to what I saw in the first season of AFLW compared to the most recent season in 2021, and I do look at it a little bit differently because initially when I'm just watching football as a spectator, I just watch the ball go around. But when I'm watching it as a coach, I'm actually looking off the ball at what's happening in front and, and behind it. So it's not as enjoyable. Although as a strength and conditioning coach, it's kind of enjoyable for me. But what I notice is there is a vast difference between season one and season five. How has that come about so quickly?
1: Well, um, first of all, I 100% agree with you. Uh, You know, I looked at our team this year and I I remember standing uh, next to a couple of our coaches and saying, And and we weren't good enough to win it this year. Um, But I I remember standing next to our coaches while while our girls were training and saying, if our team from 2021 played our team that won it from 2017, we would win by 15, the 2021s would win by 15 goals. It's come that far that we'd be that far in front that it's not funny. How does that happen? Well, they've had decent, they've had good coaching. For, for an extended period of time, and the, and, and the core of our group have been together for five years. Uh, they've learnt a lot about footy. I mean, they thought they knew a fair bit about footy when they came into it, but really they didn't know that much and they had a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for wanting to get better, um, and, and once you've got that and you're prepared to work hard, uh, then the improvement will be massive over a, a short period of time, and that, and that's what we've seen. And I 100% agree that, you know, the 2017 teams would just get slaughtered by the 2021 teams. Uh, and and now there's a, you know, so if we, so we turn back to 2016 and quite a few young girls 2017 started taking the game up then because all of a sudden there was this Crows team and it was a thing that you, you were allowed to do and people knew about it. Uh, so those girls in 2017 are you know, probably 12-year-old girls then, now 17-year-old girls, and, uh, and and all of a sudden there's this tsunami of talented people who've been playing for a long time who were able to grab uh, in the draft when that comes around and put into our team, and they're that, that, that far more advanced than they were um, you know, back in 2017 when we first formed our team because they've had, they've had, well, haven't, you know, um, the classic example is, you know, I coached my son's team when he was, he's now 27 or whatever, when he was at primary school. And two of the players in that team were Danny Van Hagen and Dana Cox, who are playing in our team now. Um, <clears throat> but Danny was the best player we had in our whole team by fair way. Um, but then when she finished primary school, we, we moved from that area. She went and played soccer for the next five years because there wasn't a pathway for her to to play. So now that that doesn't happen and she would be able to continue on playing uh, all the way through. So that would explain the difference, as in she would now be able to play all the way through and get better and better and better and better instead of having to say, no, you're too old now, you can't play with the boys anymore. So out you go, go and play something else and come back in five years' time and, and miss all that development. So I think that's the explanation for it.
0: Yeah, quick little sidestep for a second, because you mentioned soccer and already mentioned Aaron Phillips with basketball. How much of an, let me quickly <coughs> first. So I recently interviewed Beckham Baker, who's this child prodigy Melbourne City FC Academy player. And he was saying on the show that he met Eddie Betts and that Eddie was saying that he attributes a major part of his skill in being able to make the ball talk as it's like spinning into the goals um, to soccer. And a few of the, more than a few of the women have played multiple sports. So too with the men, how much impact do you think it has on players' ability as they get to the elite level, having played multiple sports, particularly soccer?
1: Um, Oh, I think, nearly all games would have um, positive attributes to, to turn into football. You know, soccer, as Eddie says, the skill being able to use your feet and make the ball talk. Uh, basketball, the ability to keep your eye on the ball when it's above your head while you're getting buffeted is a, is a really you know, good skill for marking. Um, rugby league, if you want to learn how to tackle, uh, go and play that game for a while. Rugby union, a little bit the same. So, you know, I think uh, most sports will, um, you yeah, know, will will help you uh, hone your skills for football because Australian rules football, you got the lot. You got a bit of netball, a bit of basketball, a bit of soccer, um, a bit of rugby, uh, all combined into this in this one hybrid game of, of footy so yeah you know, I think playing any other sport will help you for footy and as you say you know a lot of our girls have tried a lot of sports and and it's helped them all
0: okay so coming back into the line that we're on you talked about the challenges of doing meetings in the early days over zoom uh, having training sessions where an entire group of women were training up here and then um, catching up afterwards how much are those challenges still the same because it, it, we're still kind of doing that in in a way with a single player in Danielle Ponta who's based in Darwin. How challenging is that for you as a football operations manager?
1: Uh, look, it is challenging and it was challenging in those days. But and I wondered how it would work back in those days. But we made it work because there was a yeah. I think it's harder for Danielle than it was for that group there because at least there was a group of them doing it, whereas for Danielle it's just her. And that, and that makes it a lot harder. Um, but when there was a group doing it, and there was a fierce determination of both groups to embrace each other, as it were. So, you know, you know, you know there's always that dynamic and you want to be close as a team and all that. But, you know, this was, this was the Darwin girls knew that they had to embrace the South Australian girls to make this work and, and vice versa. The South Australians knew that they had to be in touch with the Darwin girls. They would be texting them and ringing them all the time and making sure that we, you know, there was a strong bond there. And it wasn't it wasn't made up. I mean, maybe at the start it was made up because you had to do it, but in the end it was a strong bond. And, and those relationships go on today. You know, at our grand final that unfortunately we lost, you know, a couple of months or a month or so ago. Yeah, you know, there were still past players. From Darwin, who turned up to support their mates uh, at the grand final, and uh, you know, I think I said to the girls um, at our at our uh, vote count night the other week that you know, footy's a great thing. There's sort of three M's I call it. Um, if you you know, if you if you're lucky enough out of footy, what you end up at the end when you walk away and you become old like me is you get a lot of good memories. So that's the first M. And if you're really, really lucky, you get a few medals. Uh, That's if you're really lucky. But the best thing by far that you'll get out of it is your mates. And, you know, I can't wait till I'm an 80-year-old bloke and I come back and celebrate the 2017 premiership with all of these 60-year-old women. Uh, And we reminisce about what a great time we had back in those days.
0: That's so so good. I love that. So memories... medals and mates, the three M's. Yeah. the three M's, yeah. <laughs> so it's a quite unique in being able to have players play, like live outside of the, the entire state uh, where you're playing. I was actually talking to a guy that I've coached, trained, worked with over the years, Shannon Motlop, who was a AFL player with mm-hmm. North Melbourne and uh, done some fitness coaching uh, with them and we'll, I was chatting during the last season, the 2021 season. And I said that I was um, doing some work with Danielle and he goes, oh, geez, I wish that they had had given me that opportunity to be able to fly in and out of Darwin each week. How long do you think like that's realistically possible for? Do you think that other clubs may do that, um, that it's something that could be incorporated into the men's program as well? Or is it just getting way too too difficult to to manage that? And it's just yeah. Sort of-
1: um. Look, and to be honest, the re- like we know with Danielle, she's a Darwin girl. She loves Darwin; that's her life. Um, and so, you know, when when the partnership with us, yeah, Danielle's a talented, talented girl as well. When the partnership with us uh, and and the Northern Territory broke up, and they they went more to the Gold Coast, um, you know, I knew that Danielle wouldn't want to leave Darwin because that is her. That's her life and that that is her. Uh, so we came to an arrangement where she came and did pre-season with us. That's the main thing for her. And then we're able to travel her down each week. Now, it costs a bit of money to do all that. Uh, but, you know, if I tried to move her here, um, now that's not saying that she'll never move here, but if I tried to move her here, I don't think she'd play any good because she wouldn't be happy and I'd be forcing her to do something she didn't want to do. Um, so when you've got someone with that much talent um, and, and Darwin means so much to her uh, Then let's try and make that work there And hence we get on to someone like you That, okay, we'll look after in the pre-season But while the season's going on She needs a good solid session uh, during the week To be able to get her to play at her best um, And that's what you provided her uh, up there in Darwin, it's not a bad place to train if you want to get fit because uh, you can certainly get some sweat out up there. Um, and and we've been able to do it. How long how long we'll be able to continue to do that for? I don't know. But in the end, if if Danielle wanted to come down and and try and get better and be around the team more often, it needs to be her decision, not my decision. Uh, and and so we've committed to uh, as long as she wants to to let her keep doing the travel thing. Uh, the only thing, as I say, it would be easier if there were seven or eight of them doing it together. It's difficult when it's just on your own and, and it's a four-hour flight each way, each time. But she still played pretty good, so we must be doing something right between us, mate.
0: Yeah, we try to get a few a few people out there to help her out and train with her so that there's someone always around, at least one person. Although they're not, they're you know, her teammates, but there's, uh, there's always – people around willing to help out and join in and try and find that person who's just sort of a little bit in front of her in whatever particular drill that she might be doing, um, or at least by her side. Well, uh,
1: it's, so, uh, it's hard to kick the ball to yourself, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah, I yeah, know. I'm not an AFL <laughs> player. I can kick. I've played Auss- <laughs> Aussie rules footy myself. But we actually tried to I, – I don't know if we can say this, but I got got like – I do a lot of reading of stuff, and I really enjoy um, reading People, you know, like Peter Burge, for example, hearing his stuff or watching them. Um, I'm just trying to think of who the Port Adelaide strength and conditioning manager was uh, that went over to um English Premier League. Darren lab. Burgess. Yeah, Darren Burgess. And um some of the stuff that he said. And the person who I'm getting to was an ex-Port Adelaide or Port Power coach and Mark Williams. And I'm a Richmond supporter in the men's, Adelaide Crows and the women's. And I um had been, I think, I don't know where I come across it. I think I'd probably on, I don't know, on Richmond's website or something somewhere or their social media channels. And he was getting these footballs, dunking them in soapy buckets of water and then getting um, the boys to kick the balls, these soapy water balls. So I thought, and having a PE teacher background, I thought let's try things a little bit different. So we had all different type shaped balls that we were kicking tennis balls and those weird ones that when you bounce and they bounce in different directions. And, and I think she thought that I was absolutely mad and crazy when we first started doing it, but uh, it was I, I actually, and I'm pretty sure she agreed, it was actually quite fun. Oh
1: mm. uh, well, uh, yeah. As you say, if you can kick a weird shaped ball around and and master that, then yeah, it's, it's like anything. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. With golf, uh, you know, if you if you cut a smaller hole and trying to putt to that all the time. And then all of a sudden you get out on the course and you've got this hole that's twice the size, uh, it's going to, if nothing else, it's going to have a placebo effect and make you more confident to be able to do it. And confidence is a huge thing in whatever sport you play. If you think you're good, you probably are.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to get onto golf in a second because I want to talk about that picture behind you, that frame. (laughs) But before I do, one last question on this whole topic, and that is, How much of an effect do you think it has as being a sole club in a state? Um, I've heard people talk about this. WA's got two clubs. Victoria's got several. uh, New South Wales has got two. Queensland's got two. Do you think that's an advantage or maybe even a disadvantage?
1: Um, No, I I think it's an advantage because, um, you know, we get the best players out of our state to play for us pretty easily. So it's an advantage. The reason we've got that advantage is because, as I said back earlier in this uh, in this chat, uh, is that um, development of women's football in South Australia was behind the times. Uh, you know, there was far, far, far more uh, young women playing um, Australian rules football in Queensland, a non football state, than there was in South Australia. So, yes, it's an advantage. I mean. As I said, though, there's a tsunami of young girls coming through and they'll be, and Port will get in, uh, it won't be the next season, but the one after that probably, uh, they'll be in. And and I think there'll be enough talent then to, uh, to continue to fulfil both clubs and be able to do it. And the AFL Commission have said, I'm sure they said it a, a while ago that they wanted all 18 teams represented by 2023. And to be honest, I feel sorry for the four teams that don't have a team in the AFLW because I think it completes your club. Uh, it's been a great thing for our club, and I think it's been a great thing for all the clubs that have got a women's team in it. Uh, and and I feel a bit sorry. I know there hasn't been the talent to be able to have 18 so far, Uh But that's not far off. Within a couple of years, there's enough talent in Australia because the tsunami would have hit and there'd be enough talent to have 18 teams and I think that'll be a great thing for uh, the whole competition to have everyone represented. So is it an advantage for us? Yes, it is. Uh, We probably needed the advantage because, you know, as I said, we didn't have enough talent in South Australia to field one team. We had to um, get helped along by the Northern Territory to get us in. Now there's enough talent to keep our team ticking over and hopefully in a couple of years' time there's enough talent to keep two teams ticking over in this state.
0: Do you think you'll need to go about things a little bit differently in the next couple of years in the lead-up to Port coming into the program, into the system, or and when Port comes into the system?
1: Uh, will look... Uh, yeah the biggest challenge will be that they'll need to get some players and then they'll have access to some of our players if our players want to leave so that'll be a challenge of course um, but I try and look at it as you know and we'll bust our boiler to keep our best players and try and stay competitive and try and be better than them and all that sort of stuff but I just look at it as, is is it best for the is it best for the bigger picture? is it best for football in general is it best for women's football and absolutely it definitely is and so um, yeah, whilst we'll be rivals with them, you know, I, I, I say let's welcome them, let's embrace them and um try and beat them.
0: I can't wait for that rivalry. It's gonna be I reckon <laughs> one of the rivalries in the AFLW with a club that's been so successful, people wrote them off before they even started, and then you got the new up and coming up and comers that are gonna come into the system trying to get have you know get a taste of some of the success, the rivalry is gonna be palpable.
1: Yeah, it might be. Well if you've been to any of the showdowns, it's fairly, uh, there's a good rivalry there in the men's and I'm sure that'll uh, flow over into the women's.
0: And I can't wait for it. Um, All right, so, Phil, to wrap up, we do a 10 in 10. So we've got 10 quick questions in 10 seconds or less per question. I gave you a little bit of a heads up on this ahead of time. I've been taking some notes as you've been talking and I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I want to ask you. Get your quick first thought opinion on Are you ready to go?
1: Yeah, I'm ready.
0: Hit me. All right. It kind of goes through the way you've talked about it as it's come up. So number one, running. First thing that comes to mind when you think of running. Hard. Hard. <laughs> Are you a a more of a sprinter or a long distance?
1: No, I was better at long long distance. I mean, in the when I played footy in the sprints, I'd get I'd be in the last few, but if we went a few kilometres, I'd be in the first few. (laughs) Number two
0: being, yeah, not going to win an Olympic gold 100 metres, I don't think. (laughs) Number two being CEO, (laughs) also hard. Three, grassroots footy. Um, Start of great things. Number four, holistically footy in the old days.
1: Um, Better than
0: now, I think. Number five, the Adelaide Crows. Uh, My team. Number six, women's footy. Been great for the game. Number seven, that first Premiership. Unbelievable that Number we could eight. win it.
1: We weren't, we weren't the best team.
0: <laughs> Who was the best team, do you think?
1: Uh, probably Brisbane, but yeah. we got them. We had the best two players, so that
0: helped. So- so let's do. You think you? I'm just going to take a quick side note. I often do this in this ten and ten. Do you <laughs> think that um, you? Who was the best team? Do you think this year in 2021? I think we were. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I kind of I thought you were going to say that because, and I would agree. I thought Adelaide was the best team this season, um, and obviously they lost to Brisbane, which was um, the complete opposite to that first year.
1: Yeah, well, we missed. Uh, I mean, you know, our captain missing our captain wasn't a great thing. That doesn't mean we would have won, but I think we would have been more chance to win if she was playing.
0: Yeah and I think there's just so many things that she brings to. it's not just yes. it's the talk, the leadership, the structure. It. No, it's not yep. just the player. she's a phenomenal player, one of the best in the competition but yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get on to her next. So number eight Aaron Phillips and Chelsea Randall, what they mean? Uh, just they're great people. Number nine, what has football done for you?
1: It's been my life since I was five and I've loved every minute of it.
0: And number 10, this is a generic question which I ask everyone because I'm really interested in this type of stuff and it kind of shows how my brain works a little bit. But if you could go forward in time or back in time, as in time travelling, and you can still come back to now, would you go forward or back and to what point in time? And why? Uh, I'd like to go forward
1: and by probably, I'm I'm not going to see this, but 40 or 50 years and just to see what's happening in the world and what's happening in footy. uh, You know, I always like to think, I I like to try and predict and it's a bit what you do in the recruiting that I'm in at the moment. I I look at a player now playing under 18s for Glenelg today and I'd, I'd love to, be able to see what's he doing in five years time, but that's my job to try and find out what he's doing in five years time. So I I always like to look forward and try and predict what it's going to look like. I probably would never get it right, but uh, it's always interesting to look forward. I know what it looked like
0: back there. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, What do you think football will look like in 2100? So in about 80 years,
1: I've really, I've really got no idea because, you know, if you said when I was a young guy first starting to play senior football that, and I've said this a few times, if you, if you told me that football would be played at a stadium with a roof on it and that you go to the canteen there and it'd cost you $8 for a bottle of water, I'd be going, you've got to be kidding me, mate. That, <laughs> could, ne- that could never happen. So I don't know. Put it this way. It'd probably be 25 bucks for a bottle of water <laughs> uh, and and I, I, I really don't know. I, I wonder if it'll go back to how it was in the old days. I wonder if there'll be zones to keep people all in their area. Um, yeah, there. Yeah. So I've got no idea, but I reckon 25 bucks for a bottle of water will be
0: around the money. Yeah. It's crazy that we even charge for water. Eh? It's a free thing that we pay for just so that we can get it packaged.
1: It's it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I like I imagine if, you know, when I was a young boy growing up, if if I said to my dad I want a few dollars for a bottle of water, he'd say, Mate, just go to the tap. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't spend the money on it. But anyway, times are changing.
0: Yeah. Before we leave, let's have uh address the Pictures in the room. What is that golf uh, frame behind you all about? Well, um, through my wife, my wife has a friend in Columbus,
1: Ohio, um, and we've been we've been there to visit them many times. Um, you probably don't know that Columbus, Ohio is the home of the Ohio State Buckeyes, who were in the national championship last year but got beaten by Alabama. But anyway, my wife's husband works in a promotion type setup. I don't know, making trophies and stuff like that. Uh, but they also made the uh, they make the uniforms for the Wendy's outlets. You know, like a McDonald's here. Um, and so when and he's not into golf at all. So when the there was the Wendy's that one says the 2009 uh, Wendy's. Champions Skins game and it was a game of skins with these guys were Gary Player and Bernard Langer Fuzzy Zeller and Ben Crenshaw Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson Greg Norman and Jay Hass Um, and they played in the Skins game in that year and he ended up with this signed photo of them and it means nothing to him and I saw it and went wow how good is that and he gave it to me so um, I'd like to say that I played golf with all those guys, but uh, no such luck. But Jack Nicholas was a Buckeye. He went to the Ohio State University, and I've been there. And uh, there's actually a museum in the Ohio State University of all Jack Nicholas stuff. He was he was my hero as a young boy growing up and watching golf and playing golf. I'm not that great at it, but I still love I, I still love the game. I think it's
0: a good game. So is that so your that is the story behind it? Is that your wife's friend's husband? Yes. Yeah. I think you said my wife's husband. And I was like, I'm thinking, (laughs) did did he just say that? That's me. Is that what he... That's me. Um, And what about all those other... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. so it was
1: my wife's friend's husband. Oh, no, the other ones, are. there's a level three coaching certificate for me. There's a... There's an interior decorating thing for my wife. Um, there's a justice of the peace. I'm a justice of the peace. Uh, right at the top there, there is uh, my, my dad had got an MBE for services to the university uh, back in 1982, and that's his. Um, executive certificate in AFL management, whatever that is that I did. Associate diploma in sports studies that I did. And the top one there is my... Uh, our youngest son's Bachelor of Commerce in Accounting. So there's just a few certificates around the joint.
0: It's uh, very impressive. So for anyone that's tuning in on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or Libsyn, you need to tune in on YouTube or at the website www.themindyourbodyshow.com to see what Phil is talking about. Phil, thank you so much for your time. I want to acknowledge you for all the time and efforts that you have put into women's football in particular the contribution you have made to many people's lives, men and women, through your roles, um, particularly with the football operations type stuff. And uh, thank you for being a guest on the Mind Your Body Show.
1: Uh, no worries, thank you. And happy to give you the time because of the, all the time you put in with Danielle this year and, and helping make her the, the, the great player that she was for us this year and, uh, and no doubt will be into the future.
0: And and I've got to mention she did win the mark of the year this year. That how good That's was that mark? Ah,
1: awesome. oh, that was uh, unbelievable, Mark. It was it was terrific. Uh, actually, she spoke to me the other day because I think there's supposed to be a check that comes with it. She hasn't got it yet, so I better chase that
0: up for her. That reminds <laughs> <me>. <laughs> So there's no car?
1: <laughs> no, no car. Back in the old days, there might have been a car, but no. Uh, but there's a check, and I think it's for a reasonable amount—five grand or ten grand or something like that. So I'm sure she'll this give you right. a sling mark
0: <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, she she is a phenomenal player. I absolutely love working with her, and just so naturally talented, as you as you said. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: she's she's a talent. She's a bloody, very, very, very exceptional talent.
0: Right, and, a, and, a, and a beautiful person as well. Yeah, definitely. I'll let you go and find the next talent. Go and enjoy yourself with the football this afternoon.
1: Thanks, Jacob. Good on you, mate. Speak
0: soon. Are you frustrated that no matter how much you try, no matter how good you plan to eat, no matter how much you intend to exercise, you just can't seem to stay on track with your health and fitness goals? Do you feel like your best of intentions to have more energy and feel better about yourself results in having even less energy and feeling down? What if there was something you were missing? What if eating healthy was actually enjoyable? What if you looked forward to exercise? What if moving more could actually be really easy? I've put together a free ebook just for you, detailing the strategies for having more energy and feeling better about yourself. And I want to give it to you, absolutely free. To get instant access, absolutely free, simply visit jacobandre.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-A-N-D-R-E-A dot com.